Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, you can open up to page 1380 in the Pew Bible in front of you. 1380 in the Pew Bible there in front of you. As you're opening there, uh, I want to just mention really quickly one more day, one more time, uh, how thankful I am for fathers, what an impact uh, fathers have. And, and just by way of recognizing those who are fathers this morning, why don't we do this? What do we say, if, if you've been impacted by the love and legacy of a father or a father figure, why don't you say amen this morning? Amen. 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 And we, we can all reflect on that and think about that uh, this morning, but more particularly, we can reflect on the love of our Father in heaven. And my hope and my prayer is whether you had a good dad or a bad dad or, or something in between, and that's where I am, somewhere in between probably, most of us are, uh, I hope and, and pray that, that no matter what, where you are on that spectrum, that it can point you to a Father who loves us perfectly, who loves us perfectly. If you have your Bibles open there to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, do me a favor and stand out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. The author of Hebrews writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you. Beginning verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray together. Lord, would you open our hearts and minds to receive your word and God, I pray we would be changed by your word today. Help us to hold the Lord's stay near and dear to our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In his famous work, probably the most famous book in the history of the English language, John Bunyan writes in, in his famous book, Pilgrim's Progress, the story of Christian who is a pilgrim on his way to the celestial city. Many of you read this with me uh, over Christmas break. And uh, if you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, let me encourage you to do so. It's an allegory that points us to the Christian life and, and helps us understand the Christian life. And I think it's one of the best books on discipleship that's ever been written. But during this story, during Pilgrim's Progress, Christian, the main character, the protagonist, he goes through an episode where he falls asleep at an arbor, and, and there he, he wakes up and in haste runs away. And while he's 
asleep, he had taken out of his pocket a scroll of paper. And in, and in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, that scroll of paper represented the personal assurance of salvation that Christian experienced. Now, it didn't mean that he stopped being a Christian, but as many of you have probably been through in your lives, at, at times we struggle with assurance of salvation. It's kind of like in our lives where things get going really well and, and things seem to be going great, and then we do something silly and we think, am I even a Christian? I, 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 we struggle sometimes. and that, That's exactly where Christian was in his life. Well, he finally reclaims his little scroll of paper, his roll, as Bunyan calls it. And in his fit of worry and guilt, night is nearing and he doesn't have anywhere to stay and he feels bad because he had fallen asleep and waited too long. And Bunyan describes this scene as Christian is worrying what, what he will do to rest for the night. But while he was bewailing his unhappy state, he lifted up his eyes, and behold, there was a very stately palace before him, the name of which was Beautiful, and it stood by the highway side. There at this palace Beautiful, Christian is able to find relief and rest and preparation for the rest of his journey. In his book, Comments on Pilgrim's Progress, Charles Spurgeon says this, The purpose for which the palace beautiful, the church of the living God, was established is that pilgrims to Zion's city bound may there find rest, refreshment, shelter, and protection. I wonder, Spurgeon said, what some of us would have done if it had not been for the Sabbath services of the sanctuary the gathering of ourselves together for worship and its varied forms of preaching, prayer, and praise. The Palace Beautiful in Bunyan's work is, a, is the church of Christ. I, I've had a growing conviction over the years as a pastor, and, and my conviction is that the primary way that I talk, and that most preachers, unfortunately, including myself, talk about the Lord's Day... And church attendance is in terms of guilt. I, I'll, I'll never forget, every, every, every year we'll see signs or preachers saying things like, you know, on Easter Sunday, all right, we'll see y'all at Christmas, or, uh, you know, open days besides Christmas and Easter and things like that. And I just cannot begin to tell you how much I hate that sort of attitude. I hate it. If you only want to come Christmas and Easter, that, I understand. I don't think that's ideal for a Christian. But at the same time, I'm happy for you to come. Just come to church. We're happy to have you here if it's just Christmas and Easter. But I think it's up to me as your pastor to give you something besides guilt. I, I, I feel like we have to do something more than you better go to church. Many of y'all are going to be driving down to the beach this summer, and you'll see the sign, won't you? Go to church or the devil will get you. That's not true, okay? But, but my hope and my prayer is that we won't see coming to church just as something we must do. Guess we better go to church. I hope we won't see it as just some way to, to make sure the devil doesn't get us. I, I hope we don't just see it as something like, man, I don't feel like hearing Matt uh, give me a hard time. If I don't go to church, I better show up. Instead, I hope you won't see this as something you just have to do or check off your list, but instead, I, I hope you'll see it as a grace and an opportunity from God. 
Is the palace beautiful? It's an oasis in the desert of life. So, so many of us have been burned over talking about church for all these years because over the years we, perhaps we had friends or family members who were strict Sabbatarians and all the talk we ever had about the Lord's Day was what we can and can't do on the Lord's Day. And, and maybe the Lord's Day was made miserable for you or maybe you've made it miserable yourself. So I don't want to talk so much. I'm not what one would call a strict Sabbatarian, and and we don't have enough time today for me to kind of give you my full theology of of the Sabbath. But if you ever want that, trust me, I'll give that to you. Just let me know. We'll get together and have coffee, and we'll talk about why as Christians we don't observe the Old Testament Sabbath, but instead worship on the Lord's Day on Sunday instead of Saturday. And while I wouldn't call myself a strict Sabbatarian and, and sit around and talk about what we can and can't do on the Lord's Day, My hope and my prayer is that what we will talk about is what we get to experience every Sunday with the Lord's people. That it's an opportunity that we have to get together. So while I'm not a strict Sabbatarian, I do think that this day, the Lord's day, ought to be set aside for something particular. The worship of God with the Lord's people. I want to show you this morning three truths that I hope will help transform your view and your understanding of the Lord's Day. And, and, and something you'll notice, and, and I do this in my own home, it's one of the things I like to do, is I like to call Sunday the Lord's Day. Just this morning, I had a three-year-old, Jim, laying in the floor, yelling, do we have to go? No offense to you sweet nursery workers. Uh, he, he doesn't like to do much. But he said, do we have to go? And I said, Jim, do you not know what today is? Today's not Jim's day. It's not Daddy's day. It's not even the church's day. Today is the Lord's day. Of course we get to go to church today. And you get to put on a, a little outfit and we get to go to, the, to church on the Lord's day. That's what we're going to do. He hates every bit of it now, but we're praying the Lord will give him a new heart in a few years. Three truths. Three truths to help you, to help transform your view and your understanding of the Lord's day. Three, three, three truths to help transform your view and understanding of the Lord's day. Here's the first. I hope that the gospel, let the gospel drive you to the Lord's church. I, I hope the gospel will drive you, will push you, will compel you toward the Lord's church. Let the gospel drive you. To the Lord's church. This first section of this passage is so beautiful. Therefore, brothers, the, the, the author of Hebrews is showing us how the New Testament has, and what Christ has done at the cross has brought us out of what we would call the Old Testament sacrificial system. He's demonstrating that for us. And so then he says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. In other words, we don't enter God's presence like they did in the Old Testament, nervous and, and wondering whether or not we're going to be struck dead when we enter God's presence. No, we have confidence to enter the holy places because of the blood of Jesus. He says, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
Here, I, I think the author of Hebrews is describing to us what it means to live a gospel life. We have confidence to draw near to Christ, to God through Christ because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And so we see here some truths that compel us to come here and join with the Lord's people. One truth we learn about here that compels us is we learn about the body and blood of Jesus. We, we, we learn about the body and blood of Jesus. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places, how? Whereby? By the blood of Jesus, verse 19. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is how? Through his flesh. Do you see what I mean when I say body and blood of Jesus? We have this access to God, this fearless access to the presence of a holy God by the fact Jesus shed his blood for us and through this veiled curtain the Bible says this this curtain that was in the temple that that separated the a holy place from the holy of holies the most holy place and we know when Jesus died that court curtain tore in two and what the author of Hebrews is saying here he's giving us an image that when Jesus's body was broken Right? When the, the, the curtain of his body was broken, that was when we had access to God into the holy of holy places. That in the very person of Jesus, we have gained access to God through him. And so he's pointing us to this picture of salvation, of the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus. And that we then, that we then have a great priest over the house of God who's given us access to God. Then he says in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Our hearts being sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. That's a, a picture once again of the Old Testament sacrificial system when the altar would be sprinkled with blood in order to be purified. What the author of Hebrews is saying is that our very hearts in the same way, have been purified by the blood of Jesus. And so we have this heavenly picture of salvation, right? We have this imagery of what Jesus has done. The author of Hebrews loves to do this. He loves to demonstrate to us how Christ in his body has made heavenly realities real for us. And he loves to show how Christ has fulfilled the Old Testament. He loves to do that. And so he's showing us how Jesus has replaced the sacrificial system that all the blood and bulls of goats were meant to point God's people toward the blood of His Son. That's what He's demonstrating for us. And then that our hearts, our very hearts, not a physical place, but our very hearts and souls have been sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus. But then the author of Hebrews gives us a bridge. He, he gives us a bridge between the things that have happened in heaven and the things that have happened in Christ and the things that have happened in our heart and the stuff that happens out here. But, because this is the rub for so many of us, isn't it? Isn't this the rub for a lot of us? It's the rub for me a lot of times. You know, when, when all this is over on Sunday mornings, we've still got to go home and kind of live together. You know? So some of us are still going to go home this afternoon and change a diaper. So some, some of us are, are going to go home this afternoon. And we're going to fight with the people we love most. 
And then somebody's going to say, on Father's Day, you know, on fa- do we have to do this on Father's Day, right? Nobody's laughing because it kind of hits close to home, you know what I mean? Yeah, okay, I get it, I understand. Sorry, too much. Too true, preacher, leave us alone. No, what, what, what is it? We've got to do something with all this stuff. And, and sometimes it, it feels like the Bible's calling us or, or, or preachers are calling us to be gospel robots, you know? Just once this truth downloads, that's that. It's like a new version of, of operating system. And once that happens, there's no more bugs, there's no more glitches. We should just be perfect. But obviously, that's not how life works. And so what the author of Hebrews does here is he builds a bridge for us from these beautiful things that are happening in heaven and these beautiful things that happen at Calvary and this amazing thing that's happened in your heart. And he brings it out into our lives. And what does he say? And our bodies washed with pure water means every time back here when we fill this up back here I wear waders but still inevitably I get wet and and somebody's body when we go back there and baptize them somebody's body gets wet all this beautiful stuff then is represented in a physical act we do right here Whenever someone becomes a Christian, we baptize them as a picture. This is not just something that's happening in a pie in the sky. This is not just something that happens in our hearts. This is something that impacts how we live every day. This is a flesh and blood, real life, hits the road on Monday sort of gospel. There's a bridge. And then the author shows us over in verse 25. That all these truths and all these beautiful truths compel us to meet together. That what God has done in Christ in the heavenly places and in our heart sprinkling it with blood, it compels us to gather together on the Lord's day, to meet together. Why church? That's a question a lot of people ask. Why church? Why, 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 are we, why do we do this? Think about it for just a moment. Think about the way these truths are so beautifully pictured every Lord's Day among the God's people. We're called together every Sunday as Christ's body. Why? Because we've been washed by His blood. We testify to that through our baptism and we testify to that through the Lord's Supper. We break bread and we drink from the cup representing what? The body of Christ broken for us and the blood of Christ shed for us. We do that and we physically eat and drink those things to picture our total dependence on Christ. And we do that together as a church to remind us what? That we are called together as Christ's body because we've been washed by his blood. So we picture this new covenant every time we come together. And we testify together that our hearts need to be sprinkled with blood every Sunday when we come together because we recognize in coming here that we need to be changed by the grace of Christ and His gospel. Why, church? Because we are all baptized. Our bodies have been washed clean. And we've been baptized into one body together. You see, every Sunday, every Lord's Day, when you gather here in this simple place, in a simple way that seems humdrum and basic to so many of us, every Sunday, every Lord's Day, we are reminded of the overwhelming glory of Christ and His gospel. We're reminded. We desperately 
need it. Folks tell me all the time, I can worship anywhere. I can worship anywhere. In fact, I prefer to worship in a bass boat. Or I prefer to worship on a golf course. Or I prefer to worship watching QVC on Sunday morning. You know, whatever. And I agree. In fact, it, it's one of my great goals as a pastor is not for you to worship anywhere, but for you to worship everywhere. Every day, all the time. This is an overflow of what we do during the week. And so I agree wholeheartedly. You can worship anywhere. But my question is, why would you want to? Why, why would you want to miss out on the blessing of resting in the beautiful palace? Knowing the Lord's people and being known. It's like this. What if, what if someone offered to take you to eat at, at the finest restaurant in Alabama? And, and somebody says, you know what? Just last year, Highlands Bar and Grill in Birmingham won a James Beard Award for Outstanding Restaurant in America. It's one of the best restaurants in the world. And, and I'm going to take you there for free, no cost to you. And, and just let you, you can order whatever you want and, and just have the full experience of this great restaurant. And what if you looked at them and you said, well, sounds great, but I don't know if you know this or not, but I can eat at home. I'm, I'm, I eat at home every day, in fact. I can eat at home. And the person says, nice talking with you, and walks on, right, right? No, no, of course, of course you can eat at home, but why would you want to? Let the gospel drive you to the Lord's church. But second of all, let your need. Second point this morning is this. Let your need drive you to the Lord's church. Let your need drive you to the Lord's church. Listen to this, these next couple of verses here. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You know, this exhortation implies that it's easy to waver, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, says the great hymn. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Even in our own hymnody, we recognize this proneness we have toward wavering, toward wandering. The Bible says, he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. As a Christian, we have this tendency toward wavering, toward wandering, and we have needs. We need help. You know, as a Christian, you've got several different sorts of needs. Here's a couple the author of Hebrews give us. One, you need to be stirred up. Now, I'm going to confess something here. I've met Christians who are good at stirring people up. Just spent a few days at the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm going to tell you something. There's some folks at the Southern Baptist Convention know how to stir people up. And it's not always in the right way, right? Some of y'all might have worn out phones from stirring people up. But is it always stirring people up to the right thing? No, here what does the Bible say? Yeah, some of y'all need to be settled down, I guess. But the Bible says what we always need to be stirred up toward. 
stirred up for is love and good works. You need to be stirred up. You know, it's, it's easy throughout the course of day-to-day life to just sort of get complacent in our Christian life, to do like Christian did and fall asleep in comfort, forgetting the urgency of the journey we're on. And so it's good to come be with the Lord's people and be stirred up. What does it say? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Brothers and sisters, how are you strategizing how to help encourage those around you to love better and to be more like Christ? How are you encouraging one another toward love and good works? Here's something else you need. You need to be encouraged. Your need for encouragement should drive you to the Lord's church. Think, think about it. Th- then think about how much we are these days in need of encouragement. I think about it a lot. You know why? Because I, I know what so many of y'all are going through. You tell me. You email me. You text me. You te- catch me in the hall and tell me. And what a great privilege it is as your pastor to get to love you and pray for you through those things. Re- recently, Recently, there was a, a, a gentleman in our church who came to me and said, listen, somebody's come to me and asked if they could meet with me sometime. They, they want me to talk to them about the gospel and, and help, help. And I've been through something they're going through and they want me to help them. Are, are you going to be offended if that happens? I, I know you won't be the one doing the counseling. I said, hey, brother, I'll be the opposite of offended. This is exactly what we need to do. If everyone in God's church is waiting on the pastor to give them what they need, they're never going to get what they need from the Lord. We are a body in Christ who are meant to stir one another up and meant to encourage one another. Furthermore, you need love and rest. Saints, you may be tired. You may feel unloved by the world, but God's church will love you. And brothers and sisters, we must strive as a church to be a place where this is possible where we stir one another up to love and good work, where we encourage the saints of God, where we provide a place where where saints can love and find rest. Let your need drive you to the Lord's church. Finally, finally, let your hope drive you to the Lord's church. Let your hope drive you to the Lord's church. I've noticed a theme in my ministry, and, and, and as things change in the world and the culture around us, I've, I've noticed a theme among God's people, and, and I've, I've learned that I encounter a lot of fearful Christians. Fearful Christians. Afraid about how the world's changing around them. Afraid that there may not be a future for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Afraid of how things might look so much different. Afraid of the fact that young people don't seem to go to church as much as they used to. Afraid of this and afraid of that. And and I've come to conclude as I've read history and talked to folks from different generations, I think this is true of every generation. That we're afraid of what comes next. But what does the Bible say? Bible says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. What's this last phrase here? And all the more, as you see the day, in my translation here, it's capital D day. That means the day of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
all the more as you see the day drawing near. All those things that make you fearful are things that Jesus said should point us to him and should press us into his church. Jesus says you will see these things, but do not be afraid. I've gone to prepare a place for you. This place may be bad, and it may go from bad to worse. But Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Think about this. Think about this whole text, and, and think about what it says about us. Think, think about what it says when you come here every Sunday. What are you saying, according to this text? You're saying, this world is not my home. We're, we're saying that we're pilgrims headed to heaven. We're saying that we are a people of the cross. We are saying that we need God's grace and we need His help. We're saying when we come here every Sunday that we're gathering together and we're waiting for the King of the cosmos to return and make all things new. Every time we baptize someone and they go into the water and they come back out again, we are picturing our belief in the resurrection. Every time we drink from the cup and eat of the bread, we're picturing our belief that we're doing this until the Lord comes. And the Bible says all these things are true, and they're all the more true as you see the day drawing near. That is, every day we're one day nearer to the day when our Lord returns. And every day we must double down and triple down and quadruple down on these practices. All the more as you see the day drawing near means that as we get nearer to the Lord's return, all these things increase rather than decrease. In other words, you're not going to need the Lord's church less in your life. You're going to need the Lord's church more in your life. And consider what every Lord's Day with the Lord's people does for you. It is a preparation for that day when Jesus returns. Why? Because every Lord's Day is a foretaste. A foretaste of the world to come. When God's people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. Now here it's a little picture of that. God's people from all over Attawa County. But then it'll be people from all over the world, all four corners of the globe, will be gathered together worshiping God, brought together not by common affinities, not by the fact they like each other, not by the fact that it's a pretty building or anything like that. What will we be drawn together by? The grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so every Sunday when we come here, we are here because Christ's body was broken and His blood was shed. We're here because we've been baptized into one faith and one Lord. We're here because our hearts have been sprinkled by the blood of Christ. We're here because we need God's grace every day. And we're here because we are pilgrims in this world awaiting our Lord and our Christ. And every Sunday, every Lord's Day, when we gather here together, we are seeing a beautiful picture of the day when He returns, when He makes all things new and all things right. Brothers and sisters, church is not something you have to do. It is a gracious oasis that God has given you. It is a beautiful palace right by the highway as you walk toward the celestial city.
I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus, I want to invite you today to put your trust and faith in Christ for the first time. I, I believe if you'll repent of your sins and turn to God in faith through Christ, He will save you. And second of all, you may be a Christian. You may say, Pastor, I, I've not been living the Christian life I should. This altar is open to you, and I'd be happy to pray with you this morning. And finally, finally, you may be convicted by this sermon. You may say, today is the day I need to finally make a covenant with First Baptist Church. I need to commit myself to church membership. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God. Our, our prayer today is that you would open hearts and minds, God, to be changed by your word. And Lord, if there's anyone here who has business to do with you, God, I pray that you would move in their hearts and lives even now. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.